Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. Let's pray together. Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit would be upon each of us, that you would settle our hearts, our minds, our souls, that we might rest before you and hear from your Spirit, <clears throat> that you would speak to each of us, give us your perspective, your understanding on life, encouragement for the days in which we live, and that we might worship you more clearly this Christmas season. I pray for any person here who's downtrodden, brokenhearted, for your healing hand to be upon them. For all of us, Lord, that you would give us the encouragement just for the week ahead to do your will, to honor you, to serve you. I pray this in Christ's name. Well, for a few weeks there, I was talking about water and bread from the standpoint of God has created a world in which these things are so prevalent. And I think he created it that way to speak to us about himself, that he has created a world in which water is essential for almost everything. And then he says he is living water, that you and I need to drink from the well that is Christ on a daily basis in order to do his will. And likewise, with regard to the bread, that we need to feed upon his life. That in our soul, our spirit, we're being nourished by him, the nutrient that is Christ, in order that we might live according to his plans and purposes. And in talking about those things, I raised the question of, do you know Christ or do you only know about him? And I think that is a pretty big question because no person can say, I don't know anything about him. Nobody can say that because of the way in which God has created the world, that there are so many elements, so many things in this world that declare that there is a God, a creator, whose hand is upon all things. So no person can look at the creation and say, there's no God. But yet you can know there is some God without knowing the true God. There are a lot of people who know about God. There's some people who know about him historically. That is, they know he's a historical figure that is Christ, that he lived. There's some people who know about Christ, about God academically. For example, the Apostle Paul, when he was still Saul, when he was a Pharisee, he academically knew a lot about God. He knew a lot more than most people in his society would have known. He knew a whole lot about God, but he didn't know him. And you see, there is a huge difference between knowing about him and knowing him. But then there's some people who come to know him by inviting him into their lives, but they don't know him very well. 
because there are a lot of people who want Christ as a savior. They want to be forgiven, but they're not really ready to submit to him as Lord. They don't really want to give all of their lives over to yield control completely. And then I believe there are some people that go through this journey of life who surrender their hearts so well in humility and walk with God in brokenness that they come to know him very, very well. That there's some people who really do know him quite well. And of course, the question I was raising to all of us is, well, where do you stand? Where do I stand? I look at it like this. I know him a lot better than I did. Well, at one time I didn't know him at all. I know him a lot better than I did some decades ago, but I'm sure I will come to know him even more, more clearly in the days and weeks and years ahead. And you see, the Apostle Paul in the scripture we looked at last week wrote, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. See, he was a person who originally knew about God but didn't know him. Then he'd had a radical experience to encounter Christ. His life was transformed. But I imagine that from the point of his salvation all the way until he left this world, he was still in the process of coming to know him more clearly. And he was later in life, undoubtedly when he wrote this scripture in Philippians, and there was a yearning in his heart to know him. And I suppose I am in a similar place to him in having come to know him, grown a lot, but yet somehow the desire to know him more is increasing. To know really who he is and how he works day by day. His goodness, that he can be trusted even in the midst of really difficult things. And in looking at this last week, we ended in the place of the scripture where Jesus said, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. That the one you and I want to know and trust is the one who has eternally existed. This is like the statement that was made to Moses by God when he said, who shall I say has sent me? And he said, tell them I am which is a statement about his eternal existence, his supreme authority, his love, his mercy, his grace for all of humanity. And so the one that you and I want to know is the one who created all things. The one who created you. You know, it'd be interesting to meet some of the famous inventors in time, people who've come up with some really extraordinary things that had a huge impact upon society. But imagine to know the one who created human life, to know him in detail, in deep understanding. And in talking about this, I referred to the fact that there are several I am statements in the New Testament. And they're not just statements about God, they tell us something more deeply. In other words, if I ask you about yourself, just strike up a conversation, you might tell me where you live, what kind of work you do, things like that. If I keep asking a lot of questions, 
you might tell me where you grew up, where you went to school. In other words, I might keep learning more and more, but I may not know about your character, your essence, your personality. I might only know facts about you. And you see, in the I am statements, Jesus is saying something not just about his origin or where he's been, what he's doing. He's talking about his nature, his character. See, I could ask you questions about where you're from, kind of work you do, things like that. But then what if I kept going and said, do you lie? Do you gossip? Do you lust? See, then I would begin to find out about your character, your nature. And actually, it's not beyond me to do that. I mean, sometimes I've asked some people some really, really challenging questions. One time, many years ago, I was counseling this lady, and my wife was with me. And uh, I just started, I was asking her tough questions, really trying to dig down to what was the real root of what was disturbing her soul. And so the more questions I asked, the more she cried. And the floodgates just kept coming. I just kept asking questions. And then when it was over, my wife, we got right to the root of the problem and I think helped her. And then when it was over, my wife consoled her, right? And then afterwards, my wife said, how do you do that? How do you sit there and keep asking questions when the person is falling apart right in front of you? I'm like, what? I just was digging, asking questions, trying to help her, looking for the problem. But you see, I was emotionally detached from the situation, just trying to help her. My wife was emotionally engaged because she had a strong sense of mercy. And there's a need for both of those types of things depending upon the circumstance, the situation. But you see, if I ask you questions about yourself, I'm asking, what is the essence of who you are? And Jesus goes to describe the essence of his own character in the scripture. And so the I am statements reveal about his nature, his character. And one of them I want to look at this week is I am the light. This statement appears quite a few times in the New Testament. And it is something that tells us about the nature of God himself. We start in the book of John where it says that his disciples ask him a question. Now, there's a man there who is blind. He's been blind since birth. And if you know the story, Jesus is going to heal him. And the, the people ask him, well, who sinned, his parents or this man, that he was born blind? Which to me, I find a little bit of an odd question. It is sort of a cause and effect question, but it is a fallacy of cause and effect. In other words, they assume that somebody had to sin or he would not have been born blind. The fallacy is making that connection because Jesus is gonna straighten them out and say, look, it wasn't because somebody sinned. It was because God allowed that which would display the glory of God. But now actually people make this fallacy quite a bit. 
they assume something happened in your life because of something you did or maybe your parents did or maybe somebody before you. Now, it's an odd question to me because they say, did this man sin? Like, did he sin in the womb before he was born? How was it that he was born blind? But do you remember like Job's friends in the book of Job, when Job's going through all the trials, they did the same thing. They basically said, look, Job, you would not be going through all these difficulties if it weren't for something you have done. And humans do this all the time. Do you realize in many parts of the world, people who are born with physical or mental challenges are considered accursed? In fact, um, some of you will remember Dr. Boovey, who went to church here many years ago before he became a missionary. And he went to Africa. He was a surgeon. The primary surgeries that he did were for cleft palates, cleft lips. And um, in many of the African cultures, if a child is born with a cleft palate, then they are considered accursed or something of that nature and ostracized. People won't have anything to do with them. So when he was doing these surgeries, he was not only giving them an appearance that was more acceptable, he was making them culturally acceptable. It had a huge impact upon people's lives. But you see, in those cultures, people are making the wrong assumptions. The similar thing happens with orphans around the world. You know, our people in Arcadius and others in the children's home, but I've learned this is true in many cultures in the world. If you are an orphan, you are considered accursed in some way or another. And so this is the kind of logic that people are applying here. But Jesus said, neither the man nor his parents sinned. But what has happened, that is him being born blind, was so that God might be displayed in his life, that the glory of God might shine. He said, Night is coming when one cannot work, but for now, while Christ is in the world, he had to display that he is the light of the world. Now, before I talk too much about light of the world, I want to talk about this idea that he said, it wasn't because somebody sinned, it was so that God might display his glory in this person's life. Because as I look at my own journey, and probably you could have a similar experience, there's some things that I've gone through that were very difficult and it was nobody's fault except for mine. I made bad choices, unwise choices, and the consequence was difficult, sometimes for a long season. Fortunately, since coming to know Christ, there haven't been those kinds of things, certainly not so bad as they were beforehand. But a lot of things are just our fault and we know it. But then there are some things that happen in life that are just unexplainable. It's not because of your sin. It's not because of the sin of somebody in your immediate family. There's some things that happen that you would have never imagined would happen that are beyond understanding. And you raise the question, God, why? See, that's what's going on here. People raise the question, why did this occur? And do you realize sometimes the answer is something you will not get in this lifetime? Yesterday, I did a funeral for a 28-year-old young man who died suddenly in his sleep. 
Nobody knows why. And certainly there are different facets to the why question. I know his mom is devastated. A year ago, I did a funeral for a man much older, but his mom was still alive, and she said to me, a mom shouldn't have to bury her own son. That lady had buried her husband just a few years before that, and then her own son a year ago. See, there's some things like that in this life, they're just really, really difficult. I've done funerals for people in this church who had children who lived just a few days. And you go, why? There are a lot of things you and I don't understand. There are things in our own lives that we go through and you think, it doesn't make any sense to me. But God does allow things that often we wish he would not allow because in allowing them, he is doing something that perhaps we cannot see initially, but we will see eventually. See, if you were to ask this man 30 days after he was healed, he could see. If you were to ask him, why do you think God let you be blind for all those years? He'd probably say, I don't know. doesn't make any sense to me. But if you were to ask him today, if you could go to heaven, find him, just ask him, why do you think God allowed you to be blind for those years? He might say, I don't know, but I had the honor and privilege of being used to the glory of God, not only in the time when I live, but for all the people who lived after that, God recorded that miracle. He said, it was a great honor, an enormous honor. And you see, I think sometimes it's like that, that God allows us to go through difficulties in seasons of life that we cannot explain because he is doing things that someday may make sense, but perhaps not in this world. In this case, Jesus heals him physically. And like so many things in scripture, there's no accident about how he goes about doing it. Here is a person who is physically blind, cannot see the physical world, who now has his eyes opened, he can see. Jesus does this and he says, I am the light of the world. Now the vast majority of people in the world can see physically, but they're spiritually blind. In fact, every person is spiritually blind before you come to know Christ. And today, in the world, there are a huge number of people who are physically able to see, but they cannot see spiritually. And so what he's doing here is clearly an example to describe what God does in the soul. That is, your soul is blind, entrapped in darkness, you cannot see and when you encounter Christ, spiritually, the light of life comes into your soul to give you the ability, the capacity to see what you could not see otherwise. Now, he's not only the creator of light that provides physical light, but he is, more importantly, the light that penetrates your soul. Also in the book of John says that Jesus was speaking to a group of people and he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
Now you see this declaration, I am the light of the world, tells us a lot about the nature and character of God. And also, this idea of darkness reveals something to him. See, that's why I've been saying, especially lately, that I think in creation, God has created things in such a way That if you have eyes to see, you can see the contrast. But if you're blind, you won't be able to perceive. But he has created a world in which darkness and light are so obvious. Where evil and good are so obvious. The contrast is stark and distinct. But if you're blind, you still don't see. If your spiritual eyes are open, you can see very clearly. And you see, he is saying he is the light of the world. Wherever darkness is in the soul of a person, the only thing that will penetrate that darkness is the light of Christ. Now, here's a question about this. He says, I am the light of life, light of life. In other words, that he is the essence of life that would come into your soul. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He will always rob you of life. Anytime you submit to any type of sin, what's happening is the spirits of evil have gained a little access and they are robbing you of life. Anytime the Holy Spirit is poured out in you, he is pouring life into you. By definition, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of life. He is giving you the life of Christ. Now here's the question. And it goes along with this question of do you know him or only know about him? Has the light of life penetrated every corner, every crevice, every room of the house that is your soul? See, for some people, the light of life is simply a street light out in the street. It's not penetrated their own being. For some people, it's just the front porch light. Like the light of life is right outside the door, wanting to penetrate, knocking at the door, but they haven't yet opened. In fact, within the past year, I think I've encountered some people where the light of life was literally on their doorstep. Now, this past week, I was at uh, Warriors Pass State Park just to go for a little exercise, and and there were two, um, I guess they were either Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, young men. I saw them there, and I... Um, I began in my own mind to develop the argument that I could have with these people. You know, engage them, say hi to them, and then start to tell them the flaws of their ways. And was really having a pretty good time just developing. This is gonna be, this is gonna be really good, right? And so I was like, Lord, should I go talk to them? And I think he said, why? I was like, so I could have this discussion with them. So to set them straight. You know what I think the Lord said? Why? And then as I prayed about it, I've really felt like the Lord said this. He said, I bring to you the ones that are ripe for harvest. I will take care of the others. I was like, oh. And see, as I thought about that, especially during the last year, 
the Lord has given me opportunity to talk to people who are ripe for harvest. But the ones who aren't ripe, there's not a lot I can do. Those are the ones where the Spirit of God has to work, challenge them, orchestrate the circumstances of their life. He is the only one who knows how to penetrate their heart. Do you understand the importance of that? In other words, I think what he was saying to me is, look, I am on the doorstep of their house with the light on. All I want you to do is knock. Because look, if I go and talk to them, it's only by the work of the Spirit that they're going to come to know Christ, anything like that. If they're ripe for harvest, then he's like, here, I can go and use you. But if they're not ripe for harvest, he's the only one who can. And so, when it comes to the light of God penetrating, now there is this mystery that I'll never be able to understand, why some people's hearts are ripe and why some aren't, why some hearts are hard and some are not. But sometimes it has to do with the brokenness of a person. In other words, you don't know what's going on in somebody else's life. And it may be they've gone through a season of brokenness and they are right because they're really searching. But you don't know that. And then you could encounter another person whose heart is prideful and there's nothing you can do. But you see, the question is, has the light of life penetrated beyond the front door into all the different rooms of your soul. In other words, has the light of life penetrated your integrity? Are you a per person who is truthful, honest, reliable, trustworthy? then you see, if, if so, if people can rely upon you, they, they can trust you, that you're honest, trustworthy, then the light of life has penetrated your soul in that arena. But for some people, their church life, their business life, and some other parts of their life are separated into different compartments. They act and speak a certain way in a certain situation and then it's a little different over here. In other words, is your business life consistent with the rest of your life? Has the light of life penetrated your business? <coughs> Many years ago, I had a business owner come to talk to me about an issue he was dealing with. And I really respected this man for this because he had a very complex issue in his business he was dealing with and he really, really wanted to handle it the way God would want him to handle it. And it was not a simple scenario and pretty much no matter what he did, it was gonna cost him. He was in a little bit of a lose-lose situation. And to do what was clearly, I believe, the right thing was not only going to, it wasn't necessarily going to cost him financially, it was going to cost him relationally, emotionally, things like that. But he, he really wanted to do what God wanted him to do in that situation. 
You see, that says to me that the light of life had penetrated even his business. And I think people who worked for him knew that, saw that in how he treated people. Has the light of life penetrated the control of your tongue? In other words, is the light of Christ displayed in how you speak to others? Are you an encourager, one who blesses others, or are you one who has a critical spirit, who cuts others down, who harms with your tongue? You know, some of the, some of the blows that come from one's tongue can be some of the hardest and worst. Has the light of life penetrated your sexual life? One of the things that I have found as a pastor over quite a number of years is there tends to be a contradiction among some people in this area. They might be single, say they honor God, but sexually very promiscuous or something, or living with somebody. And so on the one hand, they, they're wondering why God doesn't bless them, why this happens, why that happens, and all the while their life is inconsistent. Because the light of life has not penetrated that area. Sometimes for married people, it's the same issue. If you're married, you're faithful to your wife, but you're still looking at pornography, the light of life has not penetrated that part of your soul. You see, every single area of your life is something that God wants control over. He is not satisfied to be in the front room or the living room or the kitchen, he wants every room. He wants every component of your life surrendered to him. Now, is there an area, a room in your life that you know is not surrendered? Now, in my house, I bought this house many years ago. I didn't build it. It has a full basement, except there is one room in the house that has a crawl space under it, just the way it's made. It's the kitchen, because it's on the end of the house, the garage is here, the kitchen's here, and there's a crawl space under the kitchen. That crawl space has been quite a headache over the years. I despise that place, because we've had moisture problems, and the floor has warped and stuff like that. We've had a throng of snakes in there from time to time. And uh, there was a guy who came. To, we had a leak and had to replace part of the floor. And a guy who came to do that had taken part of the floor out. He's standing in the crawl space with his head up in the kitchen, pulling snake skins out. And I said, don't let my daughter see those. <laughs> but, you know, I just, that crawl space... I've never liked that place. But now some people have a crawl space like that in their lives. In other words, if you looked at most of their life and could really see what's going on, you might think they're walking pretty closely with God. But then there's something that's hidden that they think nobody knows that is lurking down in the depths where the light of life has not penetrated. Sometimes you'll hear a story of somebody who's a Christian who's 
it's like suddenly they've gone off the deep end, that they've just gone crazy doing things that you can't imagine they would have done. It, it wasn't sudden. What happened was there was some hidden area, the crawl space, that they had tried to keep hidden all those years for whatever time period, and finally, it's like the substructure collapsed, and they went off. And see, it is a dangerous thing to not allow the light of life to penetrate every crevice, corner, crawl space of your own life. Eventually, it can get you and make you fall badly. If we go to Genesis, it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless, empty, and dark. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and then he said, let there be light. See, like I've been emphasizing for the last few weeks, I think everything in creation says something about the nature of God. Just think about it. We could live in a world where the only light was the moon. It'd be a little challenging, wouldn't it? We'd always be in this dim sort of darkness. We could live in a world where the light was constant. There was never darkness. But he chose to have this contrast where you could see light and dark. I think partly to portray the reality of what it is to walk in the light of Christ and what it is to walk in darkness. Because in the darkness, there are a lot of dangerous things, things you may not see lurking in the darkness, things that can happen that you don't know are gonna happen. In the light, you're pretty aware of what's around you, what's going on, not likely to be tripped up near so much. And God himself said, let there be light. He said it was good, separated the day from night. And I believe basically every morning when the sun rise, rises, <coughs> it's declaring something about the light of life is here again, yet today, every day. You know, sometimes you see a beautiful sunrise or a beautiful sunset declaring something about the beauty of God himself, but all the while speaking about he is the light of life. That right from the beginning, he created it this way so that those who have eyes to see can see. Those who are blind will not recognize. I do find it interesting sometimes people who don't know Christ, who really love the world, the environment, find the creation to be beautiful and they really admire things in creation yet are blind to the creator the one who made all things in revelation it says this now it's talking about the new jerusalem which is the true eternal city rome became known as the eternal city when the roman empire was at its zenith but the true eternal city is the new jerusalem where God himself will be where men will see him face to face. And John there in the vision said, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. 
the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives it light that the lamb is its lamp. Goes on to say that nations will come there, kings will come there and that there'll never be a time when the gates are shut. There'll never be night there because God himself, his radiance, his glory is of such magnitude that everything will be lit. Now, I cannot really fathom that. Of course, no eye has beheld what is before us. But it declares what the scripture is declaring in other ways, that he is the the light, the complete light of everything eternally. And he's certainly the light of our individual lives. It's also like what the scripture says, that he is a light unto my feet. Because if you're in a very, very dark place, one little light is very handy. And it's the way God guides us in life that he doesn't often give us a big plan about 10 years from now or 20 years from now. He just says, follow me. Here's the light for your path today, tomorrow. Don't worry about the future. Just focus on today. And he's extraordinarily good about how he winds the path of our lives for his purposes, his plans. But it's his nature, his character to light your path, to light your very soul. But then there's one more aspect to this because while the scripture declares that Christ is the light of life, then Jesus said, you, that is us, we are the light of the world. That a city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl to hide it. They put it on a stand, it gives light to basically everyone around. He says, therefore, let your light shine before men. And see, along that question of, well, do you know him or do you know about him? Has the light of life penetrated every corner of your life? Well, to the extent that the light of life shines brightly in you, you are a light to others. Now, have you not met people that it didn't take very long to realize that their souls were very dark? I mean, I've encountered plenty of people over the years where their souls were very dark. Oftentimes, people that you made sure to keep at quite a distance. And then on the other hand, I've met people that almost from the immediate time I met them, there's something about them that is warm and attracts you to them. I don't mean attracts you physically. I mean attracts you in your heart, your soul. And what the contrast between those two is the light of life is strong in one and There is no life really in the other. It would be a very interesting thing if I could identify the hundred people that you have the most contact with in your life. And really, if you think about it, you don't have contact with a large, large number of people. Even if you're somebody who's very, very well known, like a a president of a country or something like that, somebody very, very well known there's still a small number of people who have a lot of contact with that person. And so if I could take 
let us say, the hundred people who have contact with you, be your immediate family, your extended family, people you work with, maybe people you do some things in recreation with. Now, the, the first 10 people on that list not, might know you pretty well, but we get down to the people 90 to 100, they might know you somewhat well. But it would be interesting to ask those people, how well does the light of Christ shine through this person? Some of them might go, the light of Christ in him? Really? Some of them might go, this person has shown me Christ more than anybody else I've ever known. I mean, really, you see, there's some people who would say, the light of Christ through that person is the most vivid light I've ever seen. Take like Vicki Adundo. You know, she's got 150 orphans in her home right now. Over the years, I don't know how many she's raised total, let's say they're 200. I would say all of those children would say the brightest light I've ever seen of Christ is that lady. And really, of all the people I've encountered, I see the light of Christ in her so strongly. She's an extraordinary example. Now, I don't know all that takes place in the depths of a person's soul that leads them to the place of being a bright light for Christ, but I know it has to do with brokenness, humility, the work of God, a hunger and thirst to want to know him. And actually, the people who are the brightest lights probably don't even realize it. You know what I mean by that? I mean, if you think you're a bright light for Christ, you're probably not. Some people think they are, and they're like, hmm. But it's the people who think, no, I've got a long way to go. I'm still in the journey, who probably are the ones who are the brightest lights. Or let me ask the question a different way. Instead of reflecting upon yourself, who are the people that you personally know that you would say are the brightest lights of Christ? Who do you personally know that have been or maybe are today the brightest lights of Christ to you? I think of this pastor I had many, many years ago who all the time I knew him then, he was an encourager, a gifted man. And then a few years ago, it's been quite a few years ago, I was in a down season of life for a variety of reasons. I kept saying to my wife, I need somebody to talk to who understands. And I really, for months, I couldn't think of the right person. I'd say, how about this person? And I'm like, meh. And then I thought of this gentleman who lived in another city at the time and so forth. I thought of him. I said to my wife, what about so-and-so? And we both were like, yeah. That's the person. When I spent a whole day with him, and it was a critical day. But now, of all the people I've known, you see, I was thinking, who, I didn't think of it in those terms, but really what I was thinking, who is the brightest light I know for this situation? And it was this gentleman. 
And in fact, if I had a really, really difficult something going on now, I haven't seen him in a few years. I'd only talk to him occasionally. But if I had a really difficult time, I'd call him. See, it's people like that. Everybody needs somebody in your life who, who is such a vivid light of Christ that when you're with them, encounter them, you know that God is touching your soul through them. You know, if there is a person or maybe several that you think of like that, this Christmas season, it would be a good idea to tell them so. Having done a funeral yesterday, it reminds me that too many times there are things, good things, left unsaid. You know, there are a lot of times when you think, I've got plenty more time to talk to so-and-so about whatever. But it's a much better thing to say it to them rather than only say it about them after they're gone. So if there is someone who has been or is a special light of Christ in your life, I would encourage you this Christmas season, let them know. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would speak to each of our hearts first about those to whom we should extend thanks but also primarily to you about the ways in which you have been displaying your light to us through many, many others that you have given us the light of life that we were blind but now we can see and I pray that this Christmas season, Lord, we might display your glory, your goodness in a very clear way to others. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.